So Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in uh, verses 12 through 18. And yes, we were also in verses 12 through 18 last week, but I didn't quite finish that message. So we're going to finish it up this morning. Uh, We are going to finish it up this morning and uh, we'll be moving on next week. But verses 12 through 18, let's uh, jump right in this morning. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way Christ, whether in pretense or in truth, is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that uh, through our time together in your word, and Lord, even as we take of the Lord's Supper in conclusion today, uh, that you would move in our hearts today, that your spirit would would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you're speaking to each one of us. Lord, we've all come from different places, from different backgrounds. We're all different ages and different races, even different cultures and nationalities. But Lord, we have gathered here for one reason, because you have brought us to yourself. You have called us. You've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Lord, some of us have been serving you for 50, 60, 70 years. Some of us have been serving you for just a short time. Nevertheless, you are working in our hearts and you are working in our lives. You've called us to be your people. You've called us to be different. You've called us to stand out from the world, to to not be like the world, but to be salt and to be light in this world Uh, Lord, that is so troubled, this world that is so broken because of sin. Lord, you've set us free of the power of sin. You've forgiven us of sin. You've clothed us in your righteousness. You've filled us with your spirit and with your power. God, help us as we spend time in your word today. Make your plan and your purpose for our lives to become more clear that we would live it out for your praise and for your glory in this day and age, in this time and season, in 2021 and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week I I shared with you that that we see in this passage four groups of people. And I I asked you, I said, I'm going to ask you to identify which, which group you are a part of, which group you fit into. Of course, we only made it through the, the first group, which is embodied by the Apostle Paul. And I, I just want to start again this morning by, by reminding you of, of who is in that category. And maybe you see yourself in that category uh, today. And we see that the Apostle Paul, he, he says that he wants us to know some things. It's important that we know what he has to communicate 
here in this passage. It's very important for us. He says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so Paul says that, that what has happened, the trials that he's gone through, that it wasn't without purpose. It wasn't without meaning. Though he has suffered and suffered greatly because of his, his witness and because of his work in the kingdom of God, it, his suffering wasn't for naught. It, it wasn't without purpose. And, and what I shared with you last week was that Paul, even in the midst of his suffering, he had joy and he said, I rejoice and I will rejoice because he could see that even in his suffering, even in his pain, that God's work was continuing, that the gospel was advancing. And Paul had made this determination that he was not going to live life for, for simply this life, but that he had eternity in mind, he had the kingdom of God in mind, that he lived his life to advance the gospel. And so because of that, because his joy was not in his external circumstances, but he found his joy anchored in an eternal kingdom when the circumstances of this life uh, were shaken and even turned against him, he didn't lose his joy because his joy was not anchored to the circumstances that he found himself in, but rather his joy was anchored to the advancement of the kingdom of God and the advancement of the gospel. And because God is always moving, God is always working, God never sleeps, he never tires, he never needs a nap, he is always working. In fact, Jesus came and he told uh, the Pharisees that. He said, God is always working. Even on the Sabbath day, God is working. And so that's why Jesus would heal on the Sabbath day. He says, God is always at, on the move. He doesn't take a day off. The work of God never stops. And so if we will make our priorities the same as God's priorities, if, if we will find our joy in the advancement of the kingdom, in the advancement of the gospel, if we will find our joy in the work that God does, even when circumstances aren't ideal, even when we may suffer and may be in pain, we don't have to lose our joy because the kingdom of God is still advancing. And too often times we, we put our joy in, in the temporary things. It's a great temptation that we have living in the country that we live in. Listen, we live in a great country. God's blessings and, and prosperity and, and material possessions. We, we live in a country that has been blessed beyond measure. Blessed more than any country on the face of the earth. But we don't find our joy in those things. We still must find our joy in the kingdom of God, in the advancement of the gospel, in eternal things. And so the, the, great, the great temptation that we all face is, is God pours out his blessings upon us and, and we could become idolaters and worship the blessing instead of the one who has blessed us. Worship the creation instead of worshiping the creator. Now, of course, we don't build altars and bow down to them, but worship is a state of your heart. It's, it's your affections. And so we, as God's people, we, 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 we acknowledge his blessing in our life. We, we don't feel bad for the fact that God has blessed us. 
We, we acknowledge it. We thank him for it. Amen? But we don't find our joy and satisfaction in those things. We must find them in the blesser, in the one that we thank for all of his blessings that he has given to us. Because things change in life. What, what we could be blessed with one day, we could be blessed with something else the next. Paul now is writing from prison. He, is, he, he once was a free man, but, but he's now been in prison for four or five years. Nevertheless, he still rejoices because he sees that even his imprisonment, that the thing that caused him pain was actually still advancing the gospel. And so I encouraged us last week again to find our joy in the kingdom of God and and, in the work of God, not finding our joy in external things. And that even as you may be in the midst of a test and even as you may be in the midst of a trial, which many of us are, that we can still have our joy because we find our joy in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength and gives us strength to even endure in the midst of a trial. So that's the first category. That's last Sunday sermon. We're moving on today to now the second group of people that we see uh, in this passage. And I want to draw your attention where in verse 13, after he says that the gospel has been advanced, he says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And here we see that this this next group of people is this imperial guard that he's talking about. In in other places, uh, this this group is also called the Praetorian Guard, or those who who took care of those officials who were in power in Rome. Remember, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. It's in Rome that he is imprisoned. And he's imprisoned by the people who are guarding him as he's waiting to to give his defense, to give an appeal before Caesar, he's being guarded by that imperial guard. It it was an elite force. It was a special group of of people. For us, it would be like the secret service. It's the secret service. You can literally translate it in our day and age for us to understand it, that Paul is being guarded by the secret service. And as he's being guarded by this elite special group of people that's that's to guard dignitaries and and people that are high in authority, those who are awaiting to make an appeal to Caesar also fell under that jurisdiction. Just like in our nation, the the Secret Service guards the president, but also the vice president and also former presidents and also the president's family. It's not just the president that they guard. And, and just in the same way that Paul falls under this elite group of people that are guarding him. And what we see is that as they would take eight-hour shifts, so three of them would guard him, and he had to be chained to them. He's imprisoned, actually not in a prison, but in a house. He's under house arrest, but he's there chained to an imperial guard. But what we see is that the whole now imperial guard, he says, the whole imperial guard knows that my imprisonment is for Christ. And I have to ask, how do they know that? How do they know that? Well, it's because Paul told them. It's because Paul witnessed to them. 
is because as they were chained to him, he, he shared the gospel with them. And that's the second group of people that we see in this passage are people who need to hear the gospel. People who need to hear the gospel. And so Paul, in the midst of these unusual circumstances, he, he doesn't just sulk. He doesn't just become depressed. He, he doesn't just, like my grandmother would say, um, what would she say? I, I can't, I, I, <laughs> mully grubs, thank you. She, he, they didn't just get in the mully grubs. That, that, that just, oh, woe is me, and I'm just, my life is in shambles, and I've been in prison for four years, and everyone's deserted me, and nobody cares about me, and where is Jesus? God, where are you? Couldn't I be doing a better job for you out there? No, that's not, that's not his attitude. His attitude is, I am going to be faithful to the call of God on my life wherever I am. If that's preaching to thousands, I'll stand up and do that. If it's preaching to this one imperial guard that I have for eight hours, I'm going to do that. We have to understand that even when we are in trials, even when we are going through a test, even when things are hard and not going the way we would want them to go, it doesn't mean that the gospel stops advancing. It doesn't mean that opportunities for us to minister are gone. In fact, it could be, it very well could be, that God is allowing you to go through that test, to go through that valley, to bring certain people into your life that you would no wise ever meet or ever see unless you went through that test, unless you went through that valley. How would Paul have been able to minister to these imperial guards if it weren't for the fact that he was chained to them? In fact, there is no other way for him to have been able to minister to this group of people. And so Paul, he, he never lost sight he didn't become discouraged or disillusioned. He didn't let his external circumstances, as dire as they were, he didn't allow them to get into his heart, to change his heart. And so Paul can write, as he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he could write this. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer body, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, we have to, again, not place our eyes on the temporary things. Everything in this life is temporary. Everything in this life is passing away. But there is an eternal life. There is a life that outlives this life. 
And there's only one thing that you can take with you to eternity. There's only one thing. It's not your bank account. It's not your cars. It's not your boat. It's not your house. It's not your 401k. How's that doing today? All right. It's, it's not those things. It's only souls. It's only souls. The only thing you can take with you to eternity is souls. That is it. Everything else in this life will pass away. Will pass away. Now, there are good things in this life that we can enjoy. I enjoyed Thanksgiving dinner this year. It was delicious. Heather made the turkey and it was not dry. It was juicy and moist, okay? It was a wonderful turkey. Her and Angie worked in the kitchen for days. For days. And in a matter of about 30 minutes, all of that hard work, evaporated, right? And th then my joy turned to pain, <laughs> right? So in this life, there are things that we can enjoy. Don't hear me saying that we have to be some sort of stoic, detached, you know, people. No, we enjoy the things that God gives us, but they're passing away. We have to keep things in proper perspective. And Paul had that perspective and it, it challenges us. It's an example for us that even as he went through the trial, his perspective was in this trial, who, who are the unique people? Who, who are the individuals that I can minister to, that I can share the gospel with? Who are the people that I'm going to meet that I would know I would never be able to meet any other way? I'm going to share the gospel with these people. That needs to be our mentality. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are called to be a witness for Christ. You are filled with the Spirit of God. Acts 1.8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You've been filled with the Spirit of God. You say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I'm not a preacher. I didn't go to Bible school. Listen, that's the enemy speaking to you. You went to the cross. You are filled with the Spirit. He will give you the words to speak as you minister out of not your flesh. Don't, don't, don't rely on your flesh, but rely on the Spirit of God. And the Spirit will move through you. It would have been easy for Paul in these circumstances to give in to worry, to fear, to discouragement. But he didn't. And he kept his focus on Christ and the call of God on his life. And look at the results. The whole imperial guard has heard the gospel because Paul was faithful even in his test, even in his trial. Let me encourage you today, be faithful in your test. Be faithful in your trial. There are people that the Lord is bringing into your path who need the gospel, who need Christ. 
And there's only one way they're going to get it. That's through you. There's people who will never darken the, the, the doors of a church until they hear the gospel. They're not going to come here to hear me preach it to them. You are the ones who are going to preach it to them. You are the ones who are going to minister it to them. I pray to God once they receive Christ, they'll join his church and become a part of his church. But there's people who will never set foot in a church. Who's going to reach them? Who's going to share the gospel with them? Where else are they going to hear it if not from the church, if not from you? Amen? It's on us. In the midst of the trial, Paul was faithful. Just because you're going through a test doesn't mean the call of God on your life has ceased. Doesn't mean that you're not equipped to be a witness for Christ. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 4, verse 35, he said, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Jesus tells his disciples to lift up their eyes to see the harvest. Why? Because it's so easy for us to become so focused on our little life and our little problems and our little issues. And when we take our eyes off of Christ and we put them on our circumstances, all of a sudden Christ isn't so big and our circumstances are great. Jesus says we have to lift up our eyes. we got to look beyond our circumstances that we're all in. Hello? We're all going through stuff. Nevertheless, there's still a harvest field. Nevertheless, there's still people who need Christ. And Jesus says the fields are white unto harvest. What that means is they're ready to be gathered in. But somebody must go out and gather them. Who is that somebody if it's not me and you? Who is that somebody It's only us. It's us. It's the people in this room. We're the ones that are going to reach our families for Christ. We're the ones that are going to reach our co-workers for Christ. We're the ones that are going to reach our friends for Christ. If not us, who? The government? Politicians? What other institution is there that's going to share the gospel message? It is us. It is us. Jesus, Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That is us. It's you and it's me. Lift up your eyes. Take your eyes off of your circumstance and put them on the harvest field. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That's a conditional promise from the Lord. We will reap a harvest for the gospel if we do not give up, if we do not throw in the towel, if we continue to press in to this ministry that God has for us. So I want to encourage you to be faithful in prayer. Lift up your family members to the Lord in prayer. Take them before the throne of God. Lift up your co-workers. Lift up your friends. Who's, if you're not praying for them, who is? Who is? Take them before the throne of God. Ask God to give you opportunities to share the gospel with them. 
Listen, even in the midst of your trial, there is an opportunity for the gospel to advance. Don't let the enemy rob you of this opportunity to be fruitful. Fruitfulness always follows faithfulness. If you will be faithful, God will make you fruitful. The whole imperial guard, but look, it's, it spread beyond that. If, if you still have your Bibles open, flip to the very end of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, the, the very next to the last verse. His concluding remarks, he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Especially those of Caesar's household. The gospel had spread. Paul was there. He was sharing the gospel. He was ministering to this imperial guard. As they began to become converted, as they began, some of them, to put their faith in Christ. They were on a rotation. Some of them would rotate back into to guarding Caesar, to guarding Caesar's household. And guess what they did? They, in turn, shared the gospel. And even some of Caesar's family, some of Caesar's household, they themselves had believed upon Christ. Do you see what happened? Do you see that because Paul didn't lose sight of the call of God on his life, that even those within Caesar's household became Christians, put their faith in Christ because the imperial guard went into Caesar's household and began to minister? They no longer were only a part of, of, of Caesar's army. They were part of God's army. And they started to advance the gospel to the point where there were those even among Caesar's own family who had received the gospel. This is the way the gospel works. This is the way the kingdom spreads. It's one at a time. We never know. We never know the extent of, of, of the ministry that God has for us. It, it's not measured in, 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 in just the, the things that we see. It's measured in things that we don't see. The, the, the kingdom of God, it continues to go forward. It continues to grow as we are faithful to plant the seeds of the gospel. And so I, I want you to see that, that the results of, of this kind of thinking, it does bear fruit. It does bear fruit. It's more than just being able to have joy in the midst of a trial, which is important. But it goes even beyond that to being fruitful in every season of life. So the first category of people is people who are suffering, enduring a trial. The second category of people are those who need to hear the gospel that we must share the gospel with. The, the, fourth, the third category of people we see in verse 14 of chapter 1, flipping back to uh, chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This, this third category of people are people who were not bold in their faith, who were ashamed of the gospel, that have having now seen what Paul endured, they have become bold in their faith. 
They have, they're not ashamed of the gospel anymore. They're now willing to share it and willing to proclaim it. Whereas once they were ashamed, whereas once they were timid and bashful, now they have become bold in their faith. Now, it took me a long time to understand this passage because I just couldn't understand how is it that people who were once timid see Paul suffering for his faithful witness and then they are now emboldened. Because for a long time to me, it seemed like the opposite would be true. It seemed like it would send the message to them, hey, don't be faithful to the Lord, otherwise this could happen to you. And that those who were timid in the faith would actually become more timid in the faith. That's what it, it I, so, so reading this, I never, I, I could never understand this. Nevertheless, Paul says that that is what had happened. Those who were timid, having seen what happened to Paul and his suffering for Christ, they became bold. And it wasn't until this year that I understood, or was it last year? I think it was last year. It was last year that I understood. I can't keep the 2020 and 2021 separate. They're all one big long year in my mind. I don't know if you're that way. Anyway, last year, I, I began to see this. I began to understand it. And it happened through this pastor named James Coates. I don't know if any of you heard the story of James Coates. He's a, a Baptist minister in Canada. And James Coates was um, someone who, in Canada, they had these insane restrictions against having church. And uh, that you couldn't gather with more than two people, and you couldn't sing, and, and all of that stuff. And it went on for months and months and months and months and months and months. And James Coates said, I'm sorry, but we're going to gather as God's people. We're not going to huddle up. It's obvious to us that, that God's people can gather and do so safely, and, and we're going to do that. And what they're telling us in the media is, is not the truth, and we're going to gather. And so he gathers his church. Well, they showed up and arrested him. They hauled him off to jail along with a lot of other pastors in Canada, put them in jail. I saw that story and I started following that story. And, you know, he puts post bond, he gets out of jail. Guess what he does? He goes back and has church again. The government comes and puts a fence around his church. They, they, they literally close his church off. They, they put a gate, a chain link gate around his church. They, they, they seize his property from him. Guess what he does? He still has church. They, they start having underground church in undisclosed locations. I started following this story and all of a sudden I saw his example and I said, I, if ever it comes to that here, I want to be like that. I, I want to be the kind of minister who, who will not bend, who will not bow, who will be faithful to the Lord Jesus above anybody and everybody else. Amen. And, and I, 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 my faith was strengthened and 
And I became more bold and I became more strong watching how he suffered and how he endured. And I finally understood. I'd heard this verse my whole life. It made no sense to me until it had happened to me and I saw a brother suffering for his faithfulness to Christ. And I I said, I I, want to be faithful to Christ that way. If ever, if ever, God forbid, if ever it would come to that that I would have that kind of boldness. And, and that's what it did. It, th- these people saw Paul's example of boldness and they said, I want to have that kind of boldness. I, I want to be faithful to the Lord that way. It inspired them. It set them free. It, it showed them how, how you can be faithful to the Lord even in the midst of hard times. And it inspired their faith and it caused their faith to grow. And where once they were timid, now they've become bold in their faith to go out and to share the gospel. Uh, Another example of this is is right now I'm I'm reading the, the biography, the autobiography of missionary Hudson Taylor. And he was a missionary uh, to China in the 1800s. He was a missionary there for 51 years. And you read these stories of of real life men and women of God. You hear these stories of people like Hudson Taylor and Archie and Verna Alderson who, you know, just sold it all and went to the mission field. It inspires you. It it causes you to say, I want to be faithful to the Lord where he has me. And I want to encourage you, dear sisters, dear brothers, that when you stand strong for Christ, you encourage those who are weak who are around you. When, When others in your life see you take a strong stand, see your boldness on display, it will have the same effect for them. It will strengthen their faith. It will cause their boldness to grow. It will cause their strength in the Lord to increase when you too take a strong stand for Christ. You encourage those who are weak who are around you. When others see the way that you endure your trial and when you do it with faith, it will build their faith as well. So don't lose heart in the midst of the trial. Press on. You are being a witness to those around you. That's the third category, these emboldened believers. And then here's this fourth category, which is, again, somewhat strange in verse 15. He says, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. This group of people that are preaching Christ, he says, out of envy, out of rivalry, seeking to harm Paul while he's in the midst of his trial. It's an interesting group of people here. And what we know about this group of people is that they are preaching the true gospel. They are preaching Christ. There are other people that Paul at times will address false teachers. 
that are preaching a false gospel. He will call them out. He will not say, I celebrate that they're preaching the gospel. In fact, he will, he will condemn them for their false gospel message. But here Paul goes and says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So these people are, are preaching the true gospel. They're preaching the true gospel message. And so because of that, Paul can rejoice. However, though they are preaching the true gospel, they're doing so with impure motives. They're not doing it with the right heart. They're not doing it for the right reasons. Nevertheless, even as they are impure vessels, they're communicating the truth, and the truth has power no matter who proclaims it. The truth has power whether you proclaim it from right motives, whether you proclaim it from the right heart or from the wrong motives and the wrong heart because God's word has power no matter what. We see this in the book of Jonah where God calls Jonah to go and take the gospel to the Ninevites, to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah hates these people so badly, he goes the opposite direction. He, he refuses to go and preach the gospel to them because he says, if I go and preach to them, they might repent. And I don't want them to repent because I hate these people and I want them to burn in hell. That's Jonah, all right? Those, that's, that's the book of Jonah. Go read it. It's four chapters long. Jonah says, I don't want to go because if I go, you're, they're going to repent and receive the gospel and be saved. And I don't want that to happen to them because I really don't like the Ninevites. Well, guess what? God gets him into Nineveh. And he, you know, through supernatural means, he gets him there. And he begrudgingly walks into Nineveh with fish vomit all over him. <laughs> looking like a creature out of Pirates of the Caribbean, right? I mean, it's just Barnacle Jonah comes in there. And the message he preaches is the shortest message in the whole Bible. He says, in 40 days or 30 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then he walks out. He, he, he preaches the shortest message. The, as, as, the, the smallest amount of message that he could do to get God off of his back is what he does. And the whole city repents. The whole city is convicted by the word of God, by the truth of God. Even though Jonah has the wrong motives, the word of God has power. The truth of God has power. This is why the enemy wants to do everything he can to silence you, to stop you from sharing the truth, to stop you from proclaiming the word of God. Because he knows that once the word of God goes forward, that the truth of God will take an impact, that it will, will have an effect. The Bible says that God's word does not return void. That the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So he will do anything that he can. The enemy, what he does in your life is to try to get you to be silent, to try to silence you. He'll do that through any number of means, distractions, whatever. Suffering, whatever. He'll do whatever he can to try and 
get you to be silent. And the way the work of God stops is when we be silent. Nevertheless, there are these believers who are preaching with wrong motives, envy and rivalry with Paul. They, they want to have more converts than Paul. That's their motive. That's their motive. They want to cause Paul distress. Because Paul knows that they're not the real deal, that they're out there preaching the gospel. And Paul just says, let them preach. Let them preach. Because the truth has power. Now, it's better, it's much better to serve the Lord with the right motives. Amen. But it's not only these people that serve the Lord out of impure motives. Uh, there are times in my life where I have served the Lord with the wrong motives in my heart. There have been times in my life where I serve the Lord to please my parents. That's an impure motive. There have been times where I've served the Lord just because I wanted God's hand of blessing in my life. And I thought that if I served the Lord in such a way that, I, that, that somehow he would be um, obligated to bless me in a way that I defined blessing. There have been times where I've served the Lord out of wanting approval or recognition of others. There have been times where I wanted glory for myself. There's all kinds of impure motives that can creep into our hearts as we serve the Lord. But let me tell you, we serve the Lord. The pure motive of serving the Lord is we serve Him because He is worthy. Period. We serve Him because He's worthy. We worship Him because He's worthy. Has he done great things for us? Yes, he has. But even if he hasn't, he's still worthy of worship. He's holy. He's God. We serve him because he's God. We serve him because he's the creator. We serve him because he is the one who has given us life. He has given to us our very lives. You are alive today because God is giving you life at this very moment. The only rational decision to make with the life that God has given us is that we will use our lives to serve Him for His glory. But there's all kinds of other motives that can creep into our heart and creep into our lives. And so we need to examine our heart. We need to examine our lives. You know, another, I'll, I'll, I'll say even another impure motive, I think, is just not wanting to go to hell. I think, I think the desire to, to not go to hell, I think that's an impure motive. Now, I don't want to go to hell, but that's not why I serve the Lord. I serve the Lord because he's worthy. And not going to hell is just a, a perk. It's just a benefit that comes along with serving the Lord. If you're serving the Lord today just because you think that's what you got to do to get your card to heaven stamped, let me encourage you, there, there's a better way to live. There's a higher dimension of serving the Lord. It's not just, you know, i got to show up to church every Sunday just to get my card stamped. No, that's not how this works. 
that is an impure motive. Now, I don't want to go to hell, all right? Like, that, that's, that's, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, so that, that motive is in my heart too. But again, is that why I'm serving the Lord? If that is, then, then something is off. So something's not aligned the right way. There's another way. There's a higher dimension. There's a step beyond that to grow beyond that. And so, again, I would encourage you, I encourage all of us to look in these four groups, these four categories. Maybe you're in enduring a trial like Paul. Maybe you're needing to hear and receive the gospel today. Maybe you're in that category. I pray that you would repent and believe in Christ. And trust in his work for you. Maybe you're needing to grow in your courage and in your boldness and in your witness. Like those who saw Paul suffer and they grew in their courage and boldness. Maybe there are times in your life and and maybe even right now where you would say, I'm serving God out of an impure motive. Where do you see yourself in this category, in these categories today? Maybe you say, I'm in all four. Lord Jesus, help me. There's help for you today. There's help for you today. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's given us his word as a guide. And these, his word is truly a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. And as we see ourselves in each of these categories, it's an opportunity for us to to turn to the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to call out to him for help. Impure motives, call out to the Lord. Say, Lord, purify my heart. Lord, like David prayed, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If you need boldness to share the gospel, pray and ask the Lord, God, give me boldness. Give me boldness. Help me not to be afraid. Help me not to be timid. Help me not to be ashamed. If you're here today needing to repent and turn to Christ for your salvation, call out to him today. The Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Trust in Christ. Trust in his cross. Trust in his sacrifice. Trust in his resurrection. And you will be saved today. Enduring a trial, stay faithful Enduring a trial, put your joy in the advancement of the kingdom, not your external circumstances.